and hopefully YouTube doesn't shut us down this time or my internet shuts us down. Um, yeah, all right. So far. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so we're back. This is part two with Oratory 1990. Hopefully the internet stays the same and works for us. I know this is 720p, which is not ideal, but uh, we're going to try and make it work. Um, already, so uh, I did have a number of questions uh, that we didn't quite get to um, from from last time, um, and we talked about detail retrieval and, and frequency response and all the things that might be contained in frequency response that we're not we're not analyzing or we're not even thinking about when we're looking at a graph. Um, for either of you guys, I mean, suppose we do eventually go down you know that road of trying to find all the rest of the information that's contained in frequency response um first of all do, we, do you think that's possible and second of all what do you think is the way forward for that was that a question for me sorry i missed that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just had a really bad coffee fit <laughs> yeah so all the all the information that's contained within frequency response that we're not analyzing when we're looking at a graph so all the rest of the stuff that might be there the fine-grained stuff mm -hmm. um is there a way like in, in your mind is there a way towards being able to uh, eventually hold up a graph and say here's where the detail is or here's where you know all whatever timbre issue is uh, or is that just something that we can't right by the um, nature of, of i mean figure out yes because all the information is there and if the information is there then whether or not we, we can understand it it's just a matter of you know us finding a way to understand it whether we will be able to do that is, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody figures it out, and then, then yeah, if, if nobody figures it out, then no. But is it is it theoretically possible? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, th that's where the information is contained. It's just a matter of how are we able to, to read that information or not. But the information, is it there? Yes, it is there. It would probably involve, at least this is just a guess, but I imagine finding patterns that you'd be able to repeatedly demonstrate, you know, in multiple different cases. You know, here, say you're looking at one, um, the way that a certain uh, element of the frequency response looks on a graph. And, you know, especially assuming that if we have even more precise measurement tools in the future, um, you know, we'd yeah, be able so, to then... Um, I, I don't think that that increasing the precision of measurement tools will, will, will play a big factor in that because okay. we are already at levels where we can measure differences which we cannot hear. Mm. Um, there's, there's, of course, a whole other topic on, on high resolution measurements and measurements above 10 kilohertz, which we you know, can also get into. But um, as far as you know, getting those things that you mentioned, I don't think that there's that more precise measurement equipment is needed. I don't think that. Uh, it's more a question of correctly interpreting the measurement results that we get and cor correlating them with, you know, with, uh, with the subjective experience that we get. For example, if you, mm -hmm. if you hear something that you call grain and somebody else also has a similar understanding of what grain is and and he is the, the same amount on, on, on the same headphone then we can can figure it out on on, on and try to correlate it with a certain aspect of the graph uh and you know there there is research being being done on those things maybe not on on, on specific audiophile words like you know grain and stuff but it all comes down to how well does the the graph of the headphone correlate to um, mm -hmm. you know your personal HRTF is the transfer function of, of your your head and ear, and how well those those peaks and valleys match up, which is not something that is that is researched a lot. But this is of course where where the information is is stored. 
Right. So, so in theory, it would be possible to say, okay, this headphone has, you know, measures like this, and then this one particular spot that we associate as grain. And then if this is then repeatable or dem uh, demonstrable in another headphone, we might be able to expect a correlation there. <clears throat> I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's not just in the frequency response, right? It's it's in, in the whole measurable right. measurable performance, measurable in the sense of anything that we can quantify. Um. It's so, not so, necessarily so then, in the frequency response alone. So then that was going to be my next question is what other metrics do you think are like the, the really important ones that we should be keying in on? So, if there are other ones. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say frequency response again, but um, I'm talking about something something differently. I'm not just talking oh, okay. about the frequency response graph, but about all of the, of the, the performance that we can measure with, with, with a, a regular measurement, which, you know, everything that we measure is, is, is contained in the impulse response because when we perform measurements, we, we perform... The first thing we do is we measure the impulse response via cross-correlation in a relatively modern setup. And anything else, the frequency response, the phase response, the THD, uh, anything else is, is then derived from the impulse response. So all the information that, that can possibly be measured is stored in the, in the impulse response, at least the, the linear portion. Um, and anything that, that, that we, can, we, can, we, can, we, we can interpret from that is, is possible to, to derive from, from there. So one, of course, the most important aspect is, is frequency response. And there's a lot more hidden in that graph than, than people typically typically know. Um, but there's, there's also, you know, of course, the THD does play an effect or does matter if it crosses a certain threshold. Right. Uh, what, and then what is that? This, this... Sorry, go ahead. I'll let you finish the... Uh, and that there's, of course, you know, the, the whole thing of what are you actually measuring when you perform a measurement? Because you're only measuring it at, at one simple state. Um, you, you're measuring with a, with a specified load, an acoustic load of, of something that is equal to a head. But if you want to get a full measurement of the performance of the headphone, then you also need to measure at different loads to get a feel of the acoustic impedance of the, of the driver and of the system. Right. So of the, of the way that the, the headphone changes the performance when presented to different loads. I was going to ask what the the threshold for um, distortion is. Um, for for I mean, you can see it on the spec sheet, and everybody's has you know different minimum distortions. <laughs> to, there's, to the there's an but... easy answer and a really complicated answer. <laughs> the easy answer is anything that's higher than five percent is most definitely audible. So if it's above if it's above ten percent, you can absolutely hear it even an untrained person can hear it after the second time. If it's above 5%, you should be able to hear a difference. If it's above 3%, you should be able to hear a difference in good conditions, you know, with low background noise. Uh, if it's higher than 1%, uh, in, in some cases, for some frequencies, you might be able to hear it, especially the low frequencies. If it's below 1%, then it really depends on the exact measurement conditions, whether or not you can hear it. Mm. But, so my, my rule of thumb is, it definitely has to be lower than one percent, at least at frequencies one hundred hertz and above. Below one hundred hertz can be sometimes can can go up to five percent, and you don't you're not able to tell a difference. It depends on, on how exactly you measure it, you know, because because this distortion or THD is 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 all of the harmonics compared to the to, to the first harmonic. Um, but in reality, the, the threshold depends on on the exact ratio of the individual harmonic, like the second, the third, the fourth harmonic. It, you can hear the, the the fifth harmonic. You can hear it very quickly. The second and third harmonic are much less audible because they're much closer to the fundamentals, so they're masked more. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a very very big can of worms that you're opening up if you want to know the exact threshold of audibility <laughs> for for 
individual harmonics right and the, no, none of this brings us closer on on the question when do we hear distortion in music yeah. because music is not just you know single harmonics so for, for and, music the, the more spectrally dense the signal is that the more it resembles music the less audible thd will be so if, if you have a if you listen to a, to a rock band or a metal band you might get away with three percent distortion or three percent three percent thd and and not hear a, a noteworthy difference sorry someone's telling me that jazz then it's the... going to be much less Someone's telling oh. me the stream is dead, but it works for me. Not true. I can see the stream <laughs> on the computer. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I'm 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 watching on a different screen. Okay. Uh, I I wanted to sorry just to continue that thought. Um, so basically, when we're looking at distortion measurements for headphones that are like less than like they're like point zero or point five right. or whatever, right. that stuff stops being a salient factor in, you know, performance essentially. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not it's, enough to say, here's, you know, we're, we're comparing headphones with minimum distortions, right? It's, yeah. It's, if, if, if you compare headphones and you look at nothing except for the distortion yeah. graphs and the headphones distorts at, you know, point one and the other distorts at point zero nine, none of those, there, there is no meaningful difference in, in any of them to be better. A, because it's very hard to measure distortion below 0.1%, measure it accurately, because you need a very low, low noise floor, which is, you know, which is the whole reason for why we use window measurements, why uh, HeadFi has this, this, has this big Hurricane enclosure, enclosure uh, to, to try to reduce the, the surrounding noise. You can have a higher signal-to-noise ratio and actually measure the, the, the distortion below 1%. Uh, and like I said, it's, if, if you listen to, to, to music signals, which are not just sign signals, then the distortion becomes much less audible because everything right. is going to be masked. Right. Uh, that's one of the things, I mean, uh, the, the difference between performing measurements and listening to music in, in general. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the measurement is, uh, at least for frequency response, we're getting, we're getting a sweep, right? And that's not the way that you'd actually be using it when you're listening to music. So that makes certain I, sense. I thought sign testing was generally accepted to be 100% of capturing what you need, though. But I don't know. Only mad economist has said that to me, so that could be wrong. <laughs> well, capturing what you need is one thing, but... but I'm not sure know, the yeah. exact wording yeah. of that. So it, it, it depends. So, of course, with the with a, with a sign sweep measurement, with a more, more modern method of sign sweeps, you know, not just a peak hole, but an actual cross correlation. Um, with the sweep, then you can get all of the of the of the linear the time invariant systems performance. If you want to get go to intermodulation distortion, then of course you, you cannot measure this with yeah. a single tool. But the the the, me the mechanism behind uh, intermodulation distortion is the same as for THD. So if you measure a headphone with low THD, then it's also going to have low intermodulation distortion as long as it's a single driver. Right. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, we don't post IMD graphs very much for headphones, actually. That yeah, because the graphs are what, really not that? relevant if it's just a single driver. Oh. Even for multiple driver headphones, like you know, with any headphones, there's a lot that have multiple drivers. Even with, with them, they're, they're what we call small signal loudspeakers, so the, the excursion is not not in a, in a in a critical range as opposed to you know large PA loudspeakers for concerts. So. The intermodulation distortion is typically not a big issue with with in-ear headphones, or it really isn't an issue. With, with of course, with with large loudspeakers like you know PA loudspeakers, loud sub, big big subwoofers with you know kilowatt range, where the distortion, where the the excursion, sorry, the excursion is is high, 
then of course intermodulation intermodulation is, is plays a big factor it makes me think of but that final audio uh, headphone the the sonorous one that had like a it had um a, two different driver types and they used actually like a a balanced armature driver for that for the highs even though it was an over ear headphone do you remember yeah, that one i, I remember i, I think it was called Ho that uh, uh it was called something else as well i think like hope pandora hope it had two different names depending on where you got it and I remember reading, uh, I think Tile, when Tile measured it, he, he, it actually showed right where the crossover was for that kind of thing. But I'm not sure if that's uh, IMD. Uh, I actually haven't seen that ever <laughs> for, uh, for headphone uh, measurements. So. Distortion. IMD is, is similar to, to, to harmonic distortion, so it should not be able to, you should not be able to see it in a frequency response graph. Hmm. But you should be able to see it when, when, when the, the way that you measure it, you measure it with, with one low frequency signal, which remains constant. And then you add a second signal which sweeps in a certain frequency range. Right. The idea being to measure distortion on a pre-excursed loudspeaker, and then right. measure the look at the intermodulation um, signals. Right. So, on the subject of other things that might be useful, I, did we talk about CSD last time? I forget if we actually covered. CSD. I don't think so. I really talk about I don't that think so. That's, say, that's a great topic. <laughs> I know Oratory has plenty of thoughts on that one. Well, because, so the funny thing is, I mean, I, I think I know Oratory's answer because, I mean, his oh, yeah, response. I got, by the way, I, I got the graph on the, on the final audio Pandora Hope. For yeah, me. yeah. Until I can see it now. That is a weird notch at 3K. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's but I the across the world with, with, yeah. with polarity inversion. That looks yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what is your question? Um, so one of the one of the things that I thought was interesting about CSD is that it seems to, sorry CSD cumulative spectral decay waterfall graphs that kind of stuff. Yes. One of the things about CSD is uh, that's interesting is that it looks like it might explain some or it might provide some information there. Uh -huh. um, you know, if you look at like the HD eight hundred or HD eight hundred S, and it's it's got a fairly clean looking CSD, and you compare that to uh, closed back headphones, for example, I've, I've, you know, pick whatever closed back headphones. I think uh, the one on SBAF that they used was the Atticus or the Icon, one of those. Mm -hmm. And it was nowhere near as clean in the CSD. And so the thinking would be, well, the, you know, as a result of the time domain, you you being um, uh, short, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you could potentially have a, let's say, more detailed or, you know, more technically capable headphone. Um, mm -hmm. For what you for what you might end up hearing, but then as you know, <laughs> after going down the rabbit hole with with you oratory <laughs> and and metal, uh, it turns out that that is not uh, there's no new yeah. information given there. Um, I so I wonder what's your thing, thoughts so. on? Yeah, so but, it, but that's why. Right? About, the main thing about CSD is that yes, absolutely, it looks incredibly resourceful. Like it mm -hmm. looks very intuitive. Very see, okay, this frequency resonates for this long, so if the longer the worse, right? And so. It looks like it explains something that couldn't explain couldn't be explained otherwise. Uh, and in in theory, if we, if we don't make any assumptions about the system, then this is true. Uh, for example, CSD plots or waterfall plots are very important for 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 measuring the the, the reverberation of a room, mm -hmm. in order to determine which at which at which frequencies you have uh, room mode resonances where the room resonates. Um, so this is very important if, if you do room acoustics, if you want to build a, a studio or a, a reference listening room to, to find out where you need to tune your resonance absorbers so that they absorb this resonance and you have a flat reverberation throughout the whole frequency spectrum or at least in the in the relevant range. Uh, 
and you find those resonances either by, by, by geometry, you know, just look how far apart are your walls and then calculate the, the wavelength and then go to the, the frequency, or you you make a, a waterfall plot of, of your room and then look at look at those peaks and see which one reverberate the longest, and then you tune resonance to those frequencies. Um, so they're not inherently unuseful because there are some very well useful applications for those type of plots. But um, these are limited to these applications are limited to uh, cases where the Helmholtz number is greater than one, meaning where the where the dimensions of the room or the dimensions of the the geometric dimensions of the the volume of air that you're looking at are larger than the wavelength of air. So some 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 sort of free field ish behavior, mm -hmm. which isn't the case in in headphones because any 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 geometric volume that you have inside your headphone is, is smaller than the wavelength of sound or at least for the for the up to 10k y you cannot really compare headphones to to traditional loudspeaker free field acoustics one of those you know th there's the reason for it and one of those things that this affects is is why csd plots are a lot less useful because that way, the CSD plot is and will be inherently linked to the frequency response and will not actually tell you anything that the frequency response doesn't already tell you, or more accurately, the, the impulse response doesn't already tell you. And frequency mm -hmm. response is just another way of looking at the impulse response. Right. So having said that, having said how how not useful they are, in comes another problem of how to measure a CSD plot. Um, you measure it by by performing the same measurement as always, you, you make a sign sweep and, and perform a cross correlation, which is all done automatically. So you get the impulse response, and from the impulse response, you then calculate the CSD plot. Right. And then you get a graph, and then you start with interpreting. And then, as any good measurement engineer does, you perform the measurement again. You know, you take the headphone off, you put it back on again, you perform the exact same measurement, and you get roughly the same frequency response. It should be very close if you have a precise setup. Uh, but then if you if you perform the CSD plot calculation and you look at the CSD plot, I guarantee you, you it will look entirely different. You will maybe recognize it to, to look somewhat similar. So of course it's it's not gonna it's not it's not completely random, right? But um, the differences that you will try to to interpret in a, in a CSD plot, they will change if you just repeat the same measurement again because the CSD plot is a very unstable measurement. Hmm. It's not very precise as Precision meaning if you perform the same measurement twice, there should be no variation. But in CSD plots, due to the inherent instability, there is a lot of of, of differences which change just by you know environmental factors. <laughs> I've actually written a, a post about it on Reddit where I, I the idea was to to measure the HD 800s with and without dust cover and see how it affects the frequency response, how it affects the pulse response, how it affects the CSD plot, and I, I performed two measurements of the same headphone with the dust cover and two measurements of the same headphone without a dust cover. And a, a, um, when you look at the individual CSD plots, they they don't look like two sets. They look like four different CSD plots. So there is no real pattern that you can trace. Or there is, but it's so much, it's it's hidden so much in the in the in the nuisance factors that it doesn't it doesn't emerge. So you cannot really see it. So CSD plots are not useful with headphones right. because they're prone to misinterpretation. Right, so that's the biggest takeaway from it is that w whatever information might lie there doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Doesn't necessarily a, mean what a, it looks like. <laughs> so, yeah, 
there is information, of course, in there, but it is not information that you cannot cannot already find out in another way. Mm -hmm. Plus, it will trick you into thinking there are additional things to be read from there which aren't actually there. Right. Because just they're see. just depending on, on nuisance factors, on background noise and, and stuff like that. I just see Cascadia Audio says, Tool once referred to CSD plants as decorative waterfalls. <laughs> yeah. a nice way of putting yeah. it. Um, so, okay, so then with that, um, do you think that the all the different um, measurements that we have right now, so m mostly frequency response and, and distortion measurements, uh, f when it comes to headphones specifically, uh, is is what we have available to, to do the measurements exhaustive of what the experience is going to end up being uh, for sound like is it is it is it complete or is there are there different types of measurements that we could potentially look into in the future like experimental stuff or anything like that um you're asking whether whether the the current measurement methods are sufficient in in quantifying the complete performance yeah um i would yeah. not say so because sometimes mm -hmm. I, I i hear headphones that so a Yes, they are very exhaustive and there is very little that's left to solve. And there's a question of whether or not this can be solved. But does a, a measurement, an ideal measurement, portray everything? Um, well, I've, I've heard headphones that to me sounded at least a little bit different. But on the graph, they look the same. Or, or within, right. within, with, within measurement variation. Because you know, if, if you perform mm -hmm. the same measurement again, it will not be exactly the same simply because of background noise yeah. and stuff like that, and because I'm physically not able to put it on the same place. So if I measure two different headphones, if, if I see a difference between those two different headphone, that headphones, then the difference will partly be explained by measurement variation, but hopefully mostly by the variation between those two headphones. So, but if, if I see two measurements that look the same and I can still hear a difference, then obviously the measurement didn't, didn't accommodate for that. Most of the time this can be this can be explained with with impedance, where you know where the performance of the headphone, or the performance of 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 any source changes depending on the load that you that you put on it, which is true for amplifiers, electrical amplifiers, just as much as it is for uh, acoustic transducers. Um, yeah, so acoustic and, and electric impedance can explain a lot of those things. Uh, if there's anything else, um, I, I'm, I I cannot promise you that there aren't, mm -hmm. but. But, I'm just thinking of stuff like timbre and I don't know stuff that audiophiles used to describe. You know, yeah, yeah, timbre is, is a really cool word because timbre or timbre, as we say in in my language, I don't know, <laughs> probably the same in, in any language because it's I think it's a French word. Yeah, um, it's it it describes the ratio of of harmonics to the fundamental. So this is very easily derived to the frequency response. Right. So it, the, the musical term timbre describes the same thing as a frequency response. Mm -hmm. Plus, of course, plus the the attack and decay, which in musical instruments is very important because it it it, it takes up a significant amount of time. Um, but on the headphones, if if the if the if the bandwidth extends at least to to twenty k, then they can reproduce this without any change. So, because the minimum phase systems, so the right this part okay, which is not uh, sorry this part of the timbre which is not explained by frequency response. Must be must be able to be reproduced on a on a headphone loudspeaker setup, if the headphone is is capable of of extending to the full bandwidth, because otherwise it, it couldn't move fast enough anyway to reproduce that frequency. Right, right. I see what you're saying. 
So okay. timbre is frequency response, is what I'm saying, mm -hmm. or the relevant part of timbre is frequency response. And if you disagree, then what you call timbre isn't actually timbre. Like there's right. a lot of things where, which people say, okay, this headphone has a different timbre, which I'm sure it has, but then timbre is the wrong word. That's what I'm saying. Right. I think there's a sense of in which if you think about like uh, one stringed instrument has a certain timbre uh, that's different from the timbre of a piano. And right. when they're talking right. about something like that, um, it's then an analogy, right? Or a metaphor for, yeah, you know, yeah, one yeah. type of headphone sounds different from another type of headphone, yeah, something yeah. like that, which isn't necessarily the you know more, uh, yeah, cr uh, appropriate term, let's say. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, uh, I was, was going to bring up like, I think I think the most clear example of that is probably going to be, like, if you took an ER4SR and an ER2SE, those have almost literally the same graph i mean i guess within unit variance and measurement variance but they also don't sound the same either <laughs> so that's and that's a different type of driver entirely yeah. there that those are things yeah, that are pretty interesting that's one of the things it, it could be you know could could be could be acoustic impedance it could be electric impedance and the interaction with your amplifier could be just you know getting a different seal i mean there's, there's always a thing where it could be you know just how they feel or how, how you when you touch them how they feel which affects your perception of a headphone greatly but i mean the etymotics they're, they're they almost look the same everywhere everyone so they, they feel very much similar um here we, it's just on the subject of timbre uh the last round of says uh timbre is the characteristic quality of sound independent of pitch and loudness from which it, right. its source or manner of production can be inferred uh, but see, this is what we were talking about. Like, like I think if we, if I talk, if I say the balanced, balanced armature IEMs often have an artificial sounding timbre, that's, that's not me. That that's like me giving a you know, uh, experiential statement about it, yeah. not necessarily it's, it's, talking it's, about the it's, frequency response. Them to be different in some, some quantifiable way. Yeah. Or quantifiable yeah. way. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. Sorry, before we move on, Metal, do you have any other <laughs> thoughts on, on any of those? Someone mentioned, someone mentioned this earlier. Um, so what's going on in a CSD graph where you have a dip, but you have a really long tail? Like some planers have an ortho wall like that. Somebody asked that earlier, and that's something I meant to, meant to cover here. Is that uh, broken behavior? Because we don't often hear an ortho <laughs> wall, but in the case of things like M1060, it's uh, yeah, pretty bad. It. I've seen it on a number of planars, actually. It's just like yeah. this massive tail shows up on CSD. Yeah, but I don't really. Yeah, I don't think we really hear that most of the time. Yeah. Um, no. So it could be, it could be, you know, measurement variation. But I, I, I think I know what you're referring to. You know, those those, those wobbles in the mid ranges, as I call them, uh, which I've seen on, on high feminine headphones a lot. Uh, I think it has to do with with diaphragm control, which is. Um, how 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 well you have the, the the partial resonances under control or the partial modes um which would correlate to damping um but i i, I haven't opened up a plane of magnetic headphone like that so i i, I don't know the exact details of how those work so i, I don't you know can what actually that is, but i have seen those you can see some of that actually in the frequency response as well like when it gets bad enough like even yeah, in your exactly. m1060 uh, measurement it's really obvious that the one you have has had the res the resonance problem because right around four and a half k you get this giant dip and a huge spike and like they're right next to each other and that's just 
there's something going on. I don't know what that flaw is, but it shows I mean, up in both CSD and DFR. That's like between four and five K from what I remember. I don't know if that's oh, where yeah. it is on your graph or not. Uh, I got on the screen. I think that's a, that's a front volume resonance. So like oh. related to either the, the, the volume of air in front of the diaphragm or this in correlation with, with a partial mode of the, of the diaphragm, which, you know, partial modes is, is when the diaphragm stops behaving pistonically, which oh. is a bigger problem, the larger the diaphragm is and planars tend to have a very <laughs> have large, very large diaphragm, diaphragms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's also f false nulls, right? Where that's what uh, I think uh, Murphy was talking about. Yeah, where that's it'll, what I've it'll seen reveal before, that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why dip, I imagine. But yeah. there's a big tail on the CSD, and that's that, not something if you you can fix with EQ either. That that's also you get, in you dynamic drivers. So you get you get a tail on the CSD if you have a peak in the frequent response, and you can also see it in the phase response with a with a, a cross. Well, in our, our situation, we have a dip and you have a tail, which is the mm -hmm. opposite of what you would normally expect. Um, and so that seems like a actual driver mode yeah, problem. That's related to the to the same partial mode behavior. Yeah. Okay. Should be. Right. From, from my experience. Um, okay. Um, so moving on to uh, dynamic driver transducers. Um, so oratory, you made a post a, a long time ago that I found super interesting about the differences in uh, different uh, moving coil uh, drivers. So where you characterize mm, the difference right. between, yeah, you know, one of them was sort of the, the dome shaped one of the, the focal ones that sort of had the mm -hmm. hybrid one. Um, and I, w I was wondering, um, actually with uh, the, the, the focal uh, driver or moving coil driver specifically, um, they do that what they call the the formless or you know the the um the column is is gone and it's just a hollow uh a voice coil there um For, it, formless coil yeah yeah that's yeah that's something that that people or engineers like to point out um but you know a formless coil is, is really not nothing special so that's what i was going to ask every, is like does every, that yeah it, i'm actually more surprised if if a headphone transducer does have a former that there are very few that, that do have them, and most of them actually are formalist by now, because you know it's not the seventies right. anymore. Right, right, right. Um, and but so yeah, the formalists are they're, they're a bitch to make because the the coil you have to, you have to re really make sure that the coil stays stays perfectly circular, and it's hard to do without the former. Right, and and so one of the things that that um, I discovered recently is that the main difference in the driver for the clear compared and the, the driver for the clear compared to the driver for the allure is mm -hmm. is just that the material for the voice coil is different um mm -hmm. so one of them uses a fully copper one and the other one uses an aluminum coated copper one and i'm wondering mm -hmm. uh, or a copper coated aluminum one and oh, i'm wondering yeah. yeah where would this translate into a better sound better performance i mean obviously uh, there's lots that could be done but just, is just this something support. that yeah so the thing with with using copper versus using copper clad aluminum is mm -hmm. um I've, i think i've said it on the last podcast acoustics is always finding finding a compromise um with using copper versus copper clad aluminum you have the weight difference you know copper has a different mm -hmm. density than, than aluminum um, but they also have a different conductivity you know copper is a, is a better conductor than aluminum um and you can you can mix Part you can can mix those those characteristics by by using either an alloy or or using a coating on the on the aluminum, so you sacrifice some of the space but get 
get more conductivity in and you can also make make the the, the whole coil lighter uh so it's 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 about finding the, the the right the right compromise for your application where you have the most force that you can get so because more force translates to higher output meaning more efficiency higher sensitivity uh while keeping the the coil light which again translates to uh, higher sensitivity but also keeping the, the the coil small enough so that it stays in the linear portion of the magnetic field which translates to lower distortion so it's 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 in the end it's about it's about getting the maximum sound pressure level at the least distortion all the while having the tools available to to shape the main resonance frequency of the driver which is determined by stiffness and and mass essentially and a little bit of damping right that i mean that just makes sense to me why they would like because you would think that because aluminum is lighter that you would have what they call you know lower mobile mass which would yeah but then you have be to better mobile but... equipment yeah yeah mobile <laughs> well, assembly I, I, whatever they I, say I, I love that term it's great yeah um but yeah it, it does make a certain amount of sense that it would be more complicated than just that because you know it's it's about uh yeah like what you can yeah. get away with for the for the voice coil for the copper one as well and of course you know if, if you change the weight and, and the, the diameter of the, of the voice coil then this exactly. of course the, the, the partial yeah. mode which again has a lot of secondary effects but the main difference between using different materials in the end no matter how you get there in the end it's just of which amount of sound pressure level can you get with a certain input power Mm -hmm. so no, it doesn't matter. Just use a speaker amp. Just to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we we're talking about yeah. with Shankar, we need the LC5 if to more, be like yeah. 5,000 ohm. Increase the distortion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it needs to be so thin as to be a microscopic trace pattern itself. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know. We'll bring a lot of other downsides. Yeah. Um, <laughs> getting back to your, your Reddit post there um, that discussed the different dynamic driver types. Um, uh -huh. do, do you think that any, okay, so first of all, uh, what's your take on burn-in? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people want to know. I like to burn in my stuff if, so it gets really hot before I cook something. <laughs> burn-in that is necessary. Now, in all honesty, uh, burn-in is, is, is relevant for, for loudspeakers that, that have additional components, you know, like a spider. Uh, and even in those cases where you, where you have multiple parts that have a stiffness, not just a diaphragm, but a spider, um, even in those parts, any manufacturer that I've talked to or, you know, my own company, what, what we typically observe is a change in behavior in the first maybe 10 cycles. Yeah. 10 cycles, meaning if you play a 10 hertz tone, then this is over in one second. If you play it a 100 hertz tone, it's, it's over in 0.1 second. So essentially, this period is gone the first time that the kick drum hits. Yeah. So, and by by this by that time, the 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 material have materials have stabilized. So it's yes, it is it is a thing, and some aspects of the, of the some materials have to be cured before putting them in a headphone and have to be stabilized, or sorry, before putting them in a, in a transducer. But for any decent manufacturer, even non decent manufacturers, if it leaves the manufacturing plant, then it's done. Mm -hmm. that there are there are driver types that, that do show some 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 performance change over time um usually getting worse <laughs> but as far as as 
universally having to to burn in your headphones i mean this, this has been disproven many times really yeah um but it's not really a discussion anymore yeah of course but yeah it's i think a lot of the time it's it, there's whenever somebody buys a high-end headphone there's a, an assumption that what they've purchased is an edge case that is or is a is an outlier that does require this <laughs> uh, right when, when in true. reality i mean it's there probably are some where yeah that it, it would change but uh, i mean to, like to say that yeah, every one of them <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't hurt right so if if you really believe it makes a difference for you i mean i'm, I'm not gonna stop you it's not gonna it's not gonna <laughs> not yeah, gonna make I mean, the headphones sound sound significantly yeah. worse uh why not, it's not exercise gonna the diaphragm it, that's what it's, i mean that's what it's designed to do take my yeah, diaphragms for a walk realign, man. <laughs> no um if, if you want to put it in sure um do, do whatever makes you happy right it's in the end it's headphones are about making you happy and not about following scientific principles so if, if it makes you happy yeah. but don't expect to to buy a headphone that sounds bad and then have to perform a magical yeah. burn-in ceremony and at the end it sounds hours. good yeah i know sound good <laughs> ceremony that's a good way for the i yeah. like that that's good reddit yeah. reddit just had, an, had a heart attack as you said yeah. that just don't, don't look at don't look at numbers and measurements yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, i love that that was great that. but it's, <laughs> dude if, if if you look at the graph and then say oh this headphone is going to sound good so i'm going to recommend this headphone to others without having listened to it myself that's yeah because the graph looks bad i haven't tried it but it looks bad that's that's not the way to to try that mm -hmm. yeah so yeah um well to a certain degree i mean i feel like there's Ouch. some really yeah, some weird like things I mean, that are NDB off. Yeah. If you yeah. see that there is a drop-off below 200 hertz and a drop-off above 2 kilohertz, there is no way it's going to sound good. Obviously. This, this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if something has a more... If something stays within 10 decibel over the whole frequency range, it's probably going to at least have the, ba the balance at least somewhat right. So... Yeah. If you, if you see a small spike at 4K and say, oh, this is 1.5 decibel too high, this is going to be awful. Yeah, no, you can't. Unless there's it. something wrong with the measurement, like like the way it was taken yeah, or something. Yeah, well, if an oratory yeah, takes it, I trust it not to be correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm not like, that's sure. why those, those like mini DSP ears rigs where they show the 4.5K oh hertz spike, and it's like, I, yeah, you it, can't. <laughs> it's even better just to not show that. Like, I, I, uh, I will point yeah. people to oratories graphs and ratings graphs and whatever every time if somebody has ears, has an ears graph, and I'm like, this is a common headphone. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't show that on an ears graph. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to actually move on to, unless you guys want to keep talking about different uh physical stuff <laughs> like di uh, diaphragms and different driver types uh i had a question about uh fre frequency response and mm -hmm. different like headphones that are tuned to different fre uh, frequency responses uh i've had this i don't know if it's a debate but somewhat of a discussion uh with uh sean olive um where uh, he seems to think that there's no reason to to prefer uh different differently tuned headphones for different genres of music and that we should all mm -hmm. be listening to whatever is the best uh frequency response or ideal frequency response for, for all genres but in my experience uh you know there's definitely some genres where i'll, I'll just like not want to listen to with uh you know from focal utopia or hd 800s or some of these more like let's say counterclockwise oh the utopia is not really counterclockwise but you get what i mean right there are some where uh yeah for example anything with electric guitars for me sounds better with a little bit of a dip there at around like 3k hertz 
mm-hmm. whereas pianos i'd rather have it be a little bit more present there three hertz is there any sense to this or should should we actually be just trying to find the one perfect frequency response for all genres? i mean this this is this is the question right do, do you do you do you like color grading on your on your movies or not do you do you want to see the, <laughs> the world as it is or do you do you not you know if, if you if you ask the question like that everybody's is gonna say no i want to see the real world but do you really real world can be ugly sometimes yeah exactly some, yeah. some albums are recorded in a really bad way if you've ever listened to black metal then you know what i'm talking about <laughs> absolutely uh, and <laughs> you you need to you need to you, you cannot listen to a black metal album on an hd 800 this is gonna kill your ears <laughs> well if, if you listen to black metal then you, your ears are probably already dead um <laughs> believe me i try no, not honestly um, <laughs> if you prefer it in a different way for a different music nobody can tell you what you prefer right this is this is subjective mm-hmm the point that is making is if we're going for something that the average person will like the average person not in the sense of the average person is stupid no the average person in the sense of some people will like more bass some people will like less bass and most of the people will like a certain amount of bass and we call this neutral and we perform this with people who are able to tell exactly what they want not stupid people who who don't know what they want but (laughs) people who are able to to tune in precisely the amount of bass that they need and we perform this even then you still need to test whether this fits fits yourself and look at where where you're standing in terms of deviation from the norm this is just the the way of of finding out what is what is neutral in the sense of what what is the average if you find an edm track you need more bass than than the producer has put into the song then you put in more bass that's fine um yeah, the stream we, did die this time. We lost the seed yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you recording locally this time? I am recording this locally, but... Uh, oh, good. Looks oh, like he we're says back. back. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good now. Wait. Yep. Maybe. There's slideshows happening. <laughs> Just, uh, just refresh. Oh, do I have to refresh? Oh, yeah. I'm seeing a slideshow. I, I am uh, I'm I'm back at full. Oh no, oh, never yeah. mind. It's oh, oh, no, it just keeps. Now. Right. Um. So so uh. I, I I'm just I, I keep thinking back of uh, back to the uh you know the older uh diffuse field targets like the Hammerstuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I mean these days I don't know of any headphones that are tuned like that. I, I doubt yeah. it. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I, I think there was at least some attempt at trying to get to a, like, um, yeah, a, a conclusive. Yeah, the, idea, the idea behind that was to have headphones um, have the same frequency response if measured inside your ear as yeah. a sound coming from specific directions as measured on your ear. Uh, and then averaging over all directions possible, which is the the free field, sorry, is the uh, diffuse field, or just from the front direction, which is the free field. Yeah. Um, which sounds like a good assumption, you know, because the, the 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 frequency response, the transfer function of your ears, changes depending on on elevation and azimuth. So it depends on where the sound is coming from. To some degree, there there are some patterns that don't change, and there are some patterns patterns that change. Um, there's a marvelous research papers by, by Blauert wrote, wrote another topic. The Blauert bands are familiar for, for some people. Um, so the, the, the idea behind the free field target was to, to have a frequency response that would 
correspond to a loudspeaker being directly in front of you. And the, the idea of, uh, of the diffuse field was to have, you know, have sound loudspeakers all around you or have a, a large reverberant field and, and taking the same timbre of that, um, which is a nice idea and, and certainly is, is not completely wrong, but it is at least partially wrong because it, it builds on the assumption that you're listening to a loudspeaker with a linear frequency response in an anechoic room, which isn't the real use case, which is exactly the point that, that Harman's research improved upon. Sorry, you said diffuse field was like listening to a loudspeaker in an anechoic room, or that's free field, isn't it? Free field and and diffuse field are both measured in in an anechoic room, as in you right. have you have the concept of an idealistic loudspeaker that produces a linear frequency response, and you then calculate the or measure the transfer function between this idealistic loudspeaker and and your ear. But this this idealistic loudspeaker is not a real world right. scenario, so. Even if even if you manage to get that calculation and even if you manage to get that measurement right, this is not uh, this does not correlate with what we what with the listening situation that we have in real life. Because right. if you listen to a loudspeaker in a, in a reference listening room, even if it's an excellent loudspeaker, even if it's a perfect loudspeaker, it doesn't have a linear frequency response. It have a it has a roughly ten decibel tilt from from twenty hertz to twenty kilohertz. Uh, if measured on axis, sorry, if if measured in a in a in in situ, as in uh, measure, measuring the yep, yep. the listening window and you know if, if you measure the sound power output it's also even more tilt only if you measure in anechoic conditions do you have to really completely flat line this is the research that is done by, by floyd tool which he has written a great book about um so this is the the thing that the diffuse field responses do not incorporate they, they don't include the fact that the loudspeaker itself has a, a frequency response that is not a completely straight line Right. I mean, and in both cases, I think those, well, I think the diffuse field one sounds a little bit more normal than the free field one, but the free field one wouldn't sound all that. Yeah, the free field, right. or for, at least from my listening experience, free field, free field targets, or if I, if I equalize a headphone to a free field target, it's, it's yeah. you, you can tell what it's supposed to be like, but it, it doesn't make the music sound better, right? So even if you can tell that this is what it's supposed to be, this isn't how the music's supposed to be so but that's that that's kind of this goes back to the whole you know do you want to color grade <laughs> exactly your, your movies and, and, <laughs> but if, if i have the perception that when i listen to a diffuse field equalized headphone or a, or a free field equalized headphone if i have the perception that this is this sounds colored in a way or this doesn't sound real then obviously something something is wrong with that which is where where sean olive started his research where he found out that mm -hmm. the diffuse field target isn't really optimal because there is a uh, there is a large agreement that it sounds colored in some way, so this is where where he started his research upon it. His his hypothesis being that the the starting point of the diffuse field, where they start with a with a loudspeaker in in anechoic um, in anechoic conditions, isn't reflective of of the of, of real world use case scenario. So it must lead to a wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why he didn't perform it from the ground up differently. Well, diffuse field is is an echo chamber, though, right? Not anechoic, if as I understand um, it. Reflective to some degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like yes. Full reflective. No, you you, you can oh, measure really? the diffuse field in an anechoic chamber because the, the idea of the diffuse field being sound arriving equally from all directions at all frequencies, which sounds like a perfect reverberation chamber, yes. But in order to get a reverberation chamber where every frequency is reflected the exact same amount, that's not really easy to do. So the way that the frequency yeah. response of a, of, a, of a diffuse field is typically measured 
is you have a single loudspeaker in an anechoic room. Uh, you have your dummy head, your measurement rig, or you know, if, if you measure the, the, the HRTF of a, of a real person, then you have the real person sitting at the, at, the, at the measurement position. And then either you turn the loudspeaker around the, the measurement rig or the, the person, or you rotate the person. So you measure a lot of free field responses from different angles and different elevations. And then you build the average over all of those. And this is then the diffuse field response. Right. Oh, so that makes sense. It, it, you don't have to measure all this, the so angles at once, it, I guess. Ideally, it, okay. ideally it would result in having all angles play at the same time. But because of the difficulties of having a reverb chamber that can do that at yeah. the same time in the same energy levels, because of this uh, difficulties in actually achieving that, the way that it's measured is typically with individual points. I don't know why I never thought of that. Cascadia would be very disappointed in my logic here. He's saying a couple interesting things. Yeah, we, I was saying we might as well dive into the chat now because uh, yeah, it looks like do we you have... want to you want to <laughs> see what he said oratory and respond to that? Which which one is that? No, Cascadia is is mad economist here, or is it? Or is it? We don't know. It could also be a hats. That talks. <laughs> uh, which which comment is that? I, common I, I common meme. Know. Um, the one with the the, the mountain logo. <laughs> Cascadia just, audio. Uh, Note that different firms and scholars have measured the diffuse field HRTF differently. Sennheiser paper using multiple. Oh, well, someone asked yeah, about exactly. Sennheiser's diffuse field. That's diffuse field loud. That's, that's, that's not the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Sennheiser asked, measures the diffuse field differently. They actually produce it in a, in a, in a reverberant chambers and, you know, come to, to slightly different conclusions about that. So in, in Vienna, we measure it with, with different. So the, the Vienna school of, of thought is that you measure it with, with individual loudspeaker positions and you rotate the, the test person which leads to more accurate results typically because you, you get the full hrtf right um so the hd 800 is perfect there are no uh, flaws there's, not a, there's not a comment that I, i'm going to quote here diffuse field is defined as sound pressure field where there is no privileged direction of the energy in other words where sound pressure is the same everywhere in the room yes in room acoustics but we're not talking about room acoustics here we're talking about HRTF, right? So, um, mm. what what was the getting to the bottom of the Sennheiser's diffuse field loudness equalization? Is that just a marketing term? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, that I don't was know. with I don't microphones know in the ears. I thought they, they the, the way that they explain it is they measured of the diffuse field response and based their headphones on that. Just looking at the frequency response of their headphones, we know that that's not true. So they must do some something else on top of that. What what I assume to be is that they measure a diffuse field response, and then add a, a shelving filter in a travel to change it to what they think is good, and then they call it the loudness diffuse field EQ. Um, because when, when you when I, when you actually add the the loudness curves to the diffuse field curve, um, I, I tried that and I didn't get a result that resembles any of the Sennheiser headphones. So. I'm not really sure whether that's just a marketing <laughs> term or whether it's just short for we base it on the diffuse field response but modified until we like it, which I think is the case. That sounds like every target curve that came after diffuse field. Yeah, yeah. Um, Except slightly more scientifically in the case of Harmon. I thought slightly. Sennheiser actually did some testing for the HD800 specifically to get their diffuse yeah, field I, loudness. I, I don't remember I what it was though. With, I read an interview with 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 one of the Sennheiser guys where they said. Uh, that they had performed um, research leading to very yeah. similar results as Harman, but they just found that this wasn't what sounded fun to them, so they didn't didn't use it. 
which which you know, which is their right if if mm-hmm. if if they want to push uh, a certain frequency response that sounds good to them or they want to impose a certain you know coloring of the sound if uh, there's there's people that's, that are going to like it and a lot of people like the sennheiser sound I, I cascadius I like says it. Uh, it has been claimed online that sennheiser's loudness diffuse field is based on the old german standard of subjective loudness matching German standard of subjective loudness matching. Uh, I see, but I always thought it was because the, the HD 100 and HD 100s are so like they're they're all about soundstage and space, right? So I always thought that they were trying, mm-hmm. they were deliberately like tuning it so that it would enhance the sense of that as well. I, I could be wrong. That, put that information in some of the manual. I, th- I think I read like the HD five. I want to say the sixty five or something much earlier than the five eighty. They put it in that manual. They've been tuning to supposedly that kind of thing before the 800 so i'm not sure mm. what the 800 is but okay. there yeah cascade is writing it comparing levels of a headphone and diffuse fit in, in a daft bands um yeah that's a method that's 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 that has been done has been done at akg as well with very uh unsuccessful results as in the test persons were were not able to do that very accurately no. uh, so that it has the inherent problems of of, of of listening tests which if if you make them too complicated they're gonna get more and more inaccurate um I haven't done this method myself though because it, it requires a lot of listeners. So I don't know how, how accurate it really is. I've just been told that it's not. Are you talking about the IRT standard cascade? I can't remember. That's definitely another. Isn't that what it's the K two forty DF used? I think there or ITR. I forget which one it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is yeah. why we need to get uh, this guy but, yeah, on the I'm, show as well. Tested <laughs> what what Sennheiser bases it on. Entirely possible. I'm. I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't work for Sennheiser. I don't know what the what the real thought process behind that is. It sounds plausible at least. So, possible. They, they criticized it as early as uh, 1986. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, no, the target has always been under criticism, and rightly so. Yeah. Because you immediately know that that, that doesn't sound completely true. So. But there there was a, a distinct shift for high end headphones at some point that, you know, I, I don't know if it was because of like limitations on the headphones themselves or for preference reasons but it always felt like you know maybe 10 15 years ago high-end headphones were way brighter than like these days you have headphones high and all high-end headphones have bass extension or they even have like a harmon bass shelf yeah a lot of that has like to do a with, big switch i love that it has to do with actually placing focus on it not just too much with with the capabilities of, of loudspeakers because we have we had all the materials necessary to produce bass mm-hmm. uh it's just that nobody really cared about it right at least that's what I was told. You know, I, I didn't work in the 80s, so I, I don't know how it really w- went down. But that's what I was told from AKG engineers that they they never really had to think about producing bass because it, n- nobody asked them to do that from headphones. You know, <laughs> <It> wasn't, <laughs> audio files hate bass, apparently. That seems <laughs> hilarious <laughs> to, to say. Yeah. But I can believe that. Hey, you know what? Hey, Matt, do you want to come on the show? <laughs> yeah, well, I've asked him. <laughs> I mean, we're literally in the Discord chat right now. So, like, if you have your setup, if you want to just talk to Oratory directly, I don't think Resolve will. Uh, no, I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> Love to have Matt on. Um, so, but let uh, us yeah, know. In, in the meantime, I mean, I, we might as well just start taking questions from the chat because yeah, we've uh, kind of we, already. Well, it looks like our internet is working. Everything is still good. Fingers crossed. For now, yeah. So, <laughs> knocking on wood. Oh, I shouldn't do that. These are precious. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, did you see anything? I, I thought I saw something. Um, actually, can we, I, add, I, can we add Mad to the to the chat now? Oh yeah, um, let me just. How do we invite? Uh, 
I have them on my list if you don't. Can I I don't think I do actually. Wow, amazing. You, you, how can you not be friends with uh <laughs> this person? Actually, I don't even know how to add somebody. <laughs> I feel so dumb right like, now. In the 80s, people loved bass. I do remember that. Um, I'm, I'm sure they did. Them. They just didn't care about it on headphones because they all had big loudspeakers. One second. Oh, you got him? Yeah, I just added him. Let's <laughs> see if he has his setup ready. Oh, it automatically called him? That's not what I meant to do, but... <laughs> But uh, we'll see. We'll see if I can. What happens? Um, have any of you guys heard the Orpheus? I have not. I, have. I wonder what Oratory thinks about that. I have. I love the Orpheus. Welcome to the hello. show. Hello. 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 I, I, I like the character. Um, that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I decided to run forty-one twenty-eight and something dapper. Forty-one or five-one. <laughs> Is that your extra one? <laughs> oh God. That's <laughs> not no. That's actually the main one. The extra uh, one doesn't have ears. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Anyway, wait. What was it? Oh yeah. Have you heard? Actually, I guess if you heard any of the Orpheus's oratory, that's what somebody was asking. I have heard the the old one, but it was it was repaired and damaged and repaired again. So I'm not sure if it was representative of the real one. I did like it though. It was it was amazingly detailed. Uh, I've I've heard the the HE2 on many occasions. Every time I'm, I'm in Berlin or San Francisco, I, I make a point of visiting Sennheiser and listening to it for half an hour, and I enjoy it every time. It's, I mean, it's 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 not worth the money, right? Because it's it's an incredible <laughs> amount of money, and I, yeah, but it doesn't measure I, as good as the K371 either. It gets a bad preference rating. Well, right. only on ratings. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean no, but, the Harman preference rating. Oh. <laughs> it's really cool. It's a really nice sounding headphone. But yeah, I'm sure. At I least, actually have at least, not. At least so. below 10k. Okay, <laughs> it's a little too airy. All right, right. There, there's, there's, there's at least one one spike going on at the 10k and above, which, which, which I feel I've like heard on, on, on a lot of electrostatic headphones. That also seems to be a ultra high end headphone kind of thing. Like the Shangri La does that too. I don't know if you ever heard that one. Oh yeah, you measured it, so I guess you might have. Wait, you measured yeah, the Shangri La. Um, yeah, wow. I, I saw it in his uh, yeah his list. Yeah, the the Shangri La we kind of call is it's just thin. It just sounds thin. Like there's the like the mids and the and the treble are way up here, and then like the, yeah. the flat bass is way down, and it goes out all the way, but it's like yeah. way down in level yeah, it's, versus it's everything else. Yeah, like it sounds it's really because crazy detailed on jazz <laughs> and whatever, but like oh my god. Yeah. Again, tried black metal, not not good for that. See, that's, 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 what I, that's what yeah. I should have done when I was. To a black metal album on a, on a high-coming reload, and then you're. you're no, you have no, way see, too much money for your own good. See, I had the opportunity <laughs> to do this because I actually I tried it in the at Canjam in the in the room there, with with uh -huh. Dr. Frank Bien, and I had all of my own music available to to, to try if I wanted uh -huh. to. So I could have done you know black metal, but no, I was like, okay, I got to impress the engineer. I got to listen to serious <laughs> audiophile music only. Oh, no. oh man. If, if, ah, if, that's if, if you have an open headphone to test and there's an engineer nearby, you have to listen oh, to it. Oh, I know, right? Black metal, you know, just to freak <laughs> that's, that's always that's the problem, problem Just man. listen to it really intensely and, yeah. you know, turn it up loud so it really screams and then go, yeah, I know, I'm hearing some small details I've yeah. never heard before. <laughs> there's something that I'm not really quite sure about. I don't know if I like it all that much. <laughs> it seems like oh, the voice God. is distorting just a little. Yeah. <laughs> so I no, think man, Matt, listen, Matt listen. had some. Yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't, don't let audiophiles just dictate what you listen to. Just, just listen to what. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Matt had it some questions earlier. 
Right, Matt. About, so, um, let's see, show. criticism for free field, right? That we didn't well, get to. Diffuse field. Uh, oh, by the okay. way, honor to be on here. Pleasure to be talking to y'all. I wasn't expecting yeah. this to be today. Sorry if you hear <laughs> some uh, noise. There are children playing in my neighborhood and generally being free and happy. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, that's, that's that awful. Should be a law. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm kind of an apologist. I don't think we've talked in voice before, or I think we've talked in red once or twice. But uh, I'm kind of an apologist for uh, for diffuse field in general and for Teal's work. Um, mm -hmm. I think you. I'll start with saying I think Teal agrees with Olive, so I think mm -hmm. that as a starting point, there doesn't have to be a conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, I think that you may miss some of the thrust of why in his earlier papers, and at least as, as most recent paper I've read of his where he was taking the stance, which is at least the most recent paper of his I've read, which is him from 20, uh, 2016, which he presented at the uh, AES thing in uh, Denmark, I think. Um, mm -hmm. His take is essentially, think about processing timbre in you know the loudspeaker case. You don't hear a loud ear resonance peak because your brain has an inverse filter which is based on perceived localization, yep. right? Yeah. Teal's take is we inherently perceive them as diffuse. Mm -hmm. Like so we get an inverse filter based on our DF and without that Stream you back. always have a tambour act. Oh. It's okay. We're, we're, still, we're still recording anyway. Yeah, go ahead. They're trying to keep it from the public. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you talk about that. Big Olive is shutting me down. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. So his argument is not that you'll get the most preferred response with just DFHRTF. And he actually, as far back, I think at least as the 90s, was saying that you might need something like a room speakers on top of it, which is arguably what the first Harman target was, the 2012 one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but his argument is that you will always subjective localization errors as long as that's stacked on top of something other than the DFHRTF because it's not mm -hmm. going because your brain is sound to be basically incidenceless in the mm -hmm. headphone case, mm -hmm. and that that will for particularly in the upper mid range. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I guess that was was. Yeah, no, of course, it's, that's the, the main case of, of why Hartmann's research is, is not the end of all details. The main argument, as I recall it, being that it differs so much from person to person that it doesn't make sense to pack it into a target curve. Uh, and that... Which seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you've, if, you've, ever, if you've ever have a, a looked at different HRTFs from different persons, they can look drastically different. Of course, they will, they will, there will be certain path shapes. The HRTF will be different, at, at least above roughly 3K, there will be differences, and even below that, um, which is why incorporating detail HRTF into a target response in general doesn't make sense, at least not if you if you're, if you're want to tune a headphone to that. So, um, I think there's I, some nuance to dig into on that one, but I also don't want to displace on a show that I just crashed to <laughs> advocate it's okay, for German I mean, research from the 1980s. No, it was good it's kind of the whole point of the show with Retori is to do as much audio science as possible. The only thing that would make this better was have Olive be in here along with us at the same time, too. Oh, God. <laughs> we just I need to lobby a little wait. bit harder. I, we'll, we'll I do it. not want to waste Sean's time. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it would certainly save time from getting into the disputes that we do on Twitter. 
<laughs> oh no, those are always fun. I get um, pinged on Twitter by you guys sometimes, and I sorry. don't know why you ping me. Maybe you just get included in the always. in the groups. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like saying, "Oh, hey, you know, my friend Lenny and I are gonna come talk to you, Mister Tyrannosaurus." <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, just for funny. ammunition, right? To be like, hey, see, you know, this guy who knows more than I do, you know, he'll agree with me. <laughs> That's funny. I'm an ounce of powder compared to his arsenal, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he certainly has the chops to 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 reason to pr produce a reason to basically every aspect of his research, right? Because he has researched every research that is focused on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I mean, he doesn't just come up with things. If Sean Olive says something and it disagrees with my understanding of the lit, that's immediately my cue to go back to the lit to see and where I went read, wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't mean that his uh, he's, that he has to be right in every case because you know, know nobody nobody can 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 be right just because of who they are. But it means that when when people like that say something, then they usually say it because they have researched that and because they know what they're talking about. So it at least stands to to assume that when it when this disagrees with, with what you know. It at least tends to assume to reevaluate those views, not because they have to be wrong, but to find out what the reason behind that was in the first place. Exactly. Plus, it's a good Which, jumping you know, off this, point for this, research. That's how science works. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I, I well, think we're I, back. I, I had a question. Yeah, now that we're actually back, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've definitely asked Mad this too many sure. times again, and it's not where detail comes from, thankfully. Um, but it's, I'll give uh, that one a rest. <laughs> yeah, let's let's stop with that one for a little while. Oh, Until I next you were week. asking everyone that one. No, um, yeah. we, not we everyone. did, but we already covered it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, you can't ask reviewers that we don't know. That's yeah. why we we're asking it. But it's no. Um, so with di people's different HRTFs, is there different? ear shapes and whatever um i thought that the brain would compensate to some degree right for what you're yes. used to so how does that yeah. interact with headphones that's this is my question as well yeah either of you guys really what, what, what is the question it's like because everybody has their own you know ear shapes or different ear <laughs> resonance and you know just like what you guys were just talking about um doesn't your brain kind of filter that out to get to sounding right anyway because you're used to hearing sound that way like maybe exactly. that applies to speakers. It's so why why headphones don't produce a linear frequency response? Right. Yeah. So like it, but is the difference between people's ears mean that they're going to hear some headphones differently? I think we have we've touched on that. Um, yes, yes, and no. Assuming that assuming that the, the headphone sounds the same way, uh, they're going to perceive it as differently. But because that difference is related to the to the HRTF, the difference is not going to be perceived as, as significant. Like um, if you have a, a loudspeaker, that loudspeaker is going to sound the same way regardless of, of, of who listens to it. But if, if I were to measure the signal coming to your eardrum, it will, of course, be different for you than it will be for me. Right. Which right. is why, why target responses are not made on, on human heads, but on, on, on the standardized head. Right. That makes sense. There's so, been course, some... The, yeah, there's just a headphone that, that's... A headphone that that is that is equalized or a headphone that, that reproduces a certain target response will not produce the same target response when it's put on your head, but it doesn't have to. It have to, has to has to has to reproduce yours exactly. Which with, is in interaction asking. with your ears, which I think yeah. you'd be used to listening to anyway. So that so that's what I'm still like slightly like if all that combined seems like people would perceive the same uh, sound 
in in when they actually listen to the headphone. But obviously, that, there's preferences at play. But I'm not sure if yeah. that's that, is that's, that true or not. <laughs> that's what uh, that comes from Tiles or that one article from from Tile as well. I think right where he talked about that in the measurements or in in the um, it was is in the big article on the reasons why headphone me- headphones don't measure flat like the you know headphone mm-hmm. basics kind of article that he did right and there was that one section there where i did talk about this where it was you know it, we're 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 used to hearing the world a certain way right that the, the gain factors of our ear that our ears have all our brains already compensating for that so in yep, theory exactly. we should hear everybody should hear headphones the same way because we're compensating already for the the various different if the headphones have all the same acoustic impedance yeah mm-hmm Oh, okay. There's the... Oh, when they are on your head. Different... Right. Yeah, of course, if they're all on your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're in front of your desk, they sound different. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, because um, if, if if you're familiar with, with how output impedance on an amplifier affects mm-hmm. the sound of a headphone, depending on the load impedance of the headphone, the same thing applies to acoustic impedance as well. The acoustic impedance of the, of the driver will interact with the acoustic load impedance of the ear, which is one of the reasons why... We have we have couplers that simulate the impedance of a human ear and not just regular microphones, and the reason why the mini DSP ears doesn't work at uh, above certain frequencies is because it has the wrong acoustic impedance. Right. Um, but I mean, this is something that I even was thinking. Well, I've thought about for the differences in the way people perceive IEMs, for example, where mm-hmm. there are fewer factors. There's only the what's in the ear canal, not what's actually yeah. going on on yeah. the outside. And, you know, you might think that that would reveal less of a difference in, in those factors and so that everybody would hear IEMs the same. But from my experience just talking to people, it sounds like people hear IEMs completely different from one another, even more so than that's, over your that, headphones. That's, that's exactly the reason why that is. You're just mm-hmm. thinking, thinking about the other end here. Um, the in-ear headphone will see pr- probably roughly the, the same load from every ear, which means that the in-ear headphone will, produce this, will perform the exact same way. In a, in, a, in a manner that is much more predictable, predictable than on in-ear headphones. But the <clears> thing <throat> is, the question is, do we want it to perform the exact same way? And the answer is, of course, no, because your personal HFDF, which the, the headphone has to match, is going to be different for every, for, it's going to be slightly different for, for everybody, or it's going to be, there's going to be some, some degree of difference between different ears. And because of the headphone performing the same way every time, it is not going to match your HRTF in the same way every time. So it's going to sound different to everybody, even though the performance of the headphone is the same, but the, but the perception is not. Because the, the internal I'm compensation sorry. filter of your, of, your, of your brain is going to be different huh. because your HRTF is going to be different. Exactly. Right. The way I like to think about it is that subjective response is whatever the correct target HRTF, I'd say DFHRTF plus, you know, room tilt, whatever, minus, you know, well, it's subtracted from whatever goes to your eardrum. So mm-hmm. if you get something that's flat, goes to your eardrum, it sounds wrong. We all know that. But if you get something that would be flat to someone else, it's not going to be flat to you. It's going to have bumps yep. and dips. Yeah. And this difference is much bigger for in-ear headphones than for over-ear headphones, which is why I personally still think that in-ear headphones cannot inherently be as good as over-ear headphones. Even though they are much more comfortable, sure, uh, smaller, so they're more portable. But as far as sound quality goes, the the, the best sounding headphone for me is still an OBA headphone. So then the answer to that question about our brain adjustment um, mm-hmm. is that is, is essentially no, <laughs> that it's not enough to, to, I guess, compensate for um, 
uh, an HRTF, personal HRTF not matching. Uh, well, if you equalized uh, an in-ear monitor to match at your eardrum the sound pressure level mm -hmm. of a speaker or a headphone, yeah, it would subjectively sound the same. Yeah, yeah. for yeah, your yeah. eardrum, for your, mm -hmm. you know, you in the sound field. The as, as, far as, as far as the frequency response goes, of course, if you have to, of course, yeah, cross feed and stuff, cross feed and stuff is still going to be in effect. Yeah, which yeah. Room, still yeah, room sounds the the K characteristics of the room, but I mean, like for the yeah. just the frequency response is going to be shit. But mm -hmm. the thing is that what we're saying is that an in ear monitor is bypassing your personal HRTF to a fairly right. large extent and essentially substituting a generic HRTF in a sense yeah. or whatever mm -hmm. it was voiced to. Well, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so that answers that. <laughs> some people, but gonna sound different to others because it doesn't match their personal, the personal composition. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, okay. Um, we can move on. I mean, I guess uh, Metal. Do you have any other questions for <laughs> either of these two while we're looking at comments? <laughs> Anytime oh, we should probably take a few more again, here. Just let me know. <laughs> no, no. no. Stick around. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. But you, you, yeah. you fit right in with the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We'll um, have you on here. Just you know, the three we'll of us. We'll have to do it. We'll have to do a dedicated one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought I saw some questions in here, but I, I think. I um, really someone was. I think this is probably related, maybe, to what. Um, since you guys have read so many papers already, um, <laughs> what research has been done in the Phenomena, phenomenological, there we go, I got it, perception of over-ears versus scientific understanding of them as a minimum so the, system. The what it is to uh, the what it I, is like. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I'm like philosophers. The question. So, 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 so I actually am. I, I actually have a oh, master's okay. degree that's in philosophy, so I think this might why. be a question for me. <laughs> okay, maybe you can like, translate master's it. Master's degree prepare you for Hegel? For what? <laughs> Oh, um, no, God, God, no. <laughs> that's what nothing I was... prepares you for Hegel. Hegel no. is just if you want to really torture yourself. <laughs> I think a lot of the stuff you end up reading is if you want to really torture yourself. I don't think yeah, there's any. Much as Hegel? There's, it, it gets worse. Um, All right. This is oh, the point no. where I really it's, don't it's, want it's, to. It's, it, gets, it gets punitive. Um, <clears throat> But no, I don't. I think the answer to this question is no. I don't know of any research that's been done on the phenomenological perception of overears uh, versus scientific understanding of them. Um, like, I think that's ultimately what every reviewer is doing. But there's that, that's not. There's no actual research there. <laughs> it's just it's it's more trying to give a phenomenological account. I mean, um, there are there are papers trying to link. Um, prescriptive words or descriptive words, yeah. like woolly detail something and trying to link them yeah. to certain aspects of the sound uh there are some I, I i don't have ones in my mind right now but I've, i know i've read at least two i think um but is that is that the answer to the question there's there's the one that i'm thinking of is actually a sean olive article from 2018 that that tries to predict it was like yeah like trying to predict different ways of uh, or yeah, a, a method, a, a methodology for trying to predict um, preference. But beyond yeah, that, I'm not the, the aware. preference model, which just which works roughly decently well, but it's not not too yeah. detailed. 
So the fellow has clarified that he means neurological. Oh, neurological. Okay. Perception. Okay. <clears throat> That's sort of outside of my area, at least. I don't know about you, Oratory. I, I, I have no idea about about neurologics. I, that's that's, really but that, that's, that's what we were just talking. What we were just talking about, though the the uh, the brains, uh, you know, whether or not the brain adjusts or gets used to different um, you know sound signatures, or why certain things sound normal uh, to us, uh, given the fact that we have different or or not normal, given the fact that we all have different physical shapes to the to the ear. I think um, that there's a distinction in neurological and psychological, though. Perce we mm. do a lot of stuff perceptually. Oh, yeah. Right, and, right. Like almost everything that either I or oratory reference has a, per a perceptual test component, even if that was just the basis of whatever, yeah. you know, whatever we're doing. But, you know, like, all, that's why Olive went through this whole thing to, to verify, you know, frequency response approximated on, you know, an HD 518 predicts frequency response in C2 with those headphones, yada, yada. Yeah. It's just about how people perceive it. But neurologically, you get the added complexity of what the, whatever the heck's going on inside big ball of meat in our head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not aware of any research into actually tapping the nerves and measuring nerve response on different headphones. I, I don't know if that can be done. I don't know. I, I'm this, not a bit of so You'd have to do like fMRIs, right? Get some uh, e-stats, yeah. put people in an fMRI, see what happens. EKG. It's a new brand. It's now EKG instead of AKG. Ah. That was horrible. But actually, so this person, Gary Cole, says when measuring vestibular ocular reflex, we've learned that sound going into the temporal or auricular area of the brain transfers to the interference patterns perceived by cerebral cortex i don't know what any of that means wow. but maybe that's uh maybe maybe some of this stuff is actually being done maybe we have to look outside of our <laughs> usual reviewers and acoustic engineers list and find some people with uh yeah neurological uh but i mean it's here. it's probably it's probably <laughs> you know more than just neurological it's probably just you know physiological as well like everything to do with you know the 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 way that we react like let's say not necessarily consciously we notice it but there's probably differences that we uh that we get f you know even just like I'm, I'm thinking not just listening to music versus not listening to music but like listening through good equipment versus listening to bad equipment <laughs> or something that's got distortion <laughs> like there's probably some sort of like you know physiological well, response that we're not, that we're not noticing <laughs> easy to measure yeah yeah like yeah what, measure how much that person likes the thing in a percentage you, yeah that that's, should be the real harmony really <laughs> you could just like hook people up to like you know heart rate monitors and everything else and see you know how that's they're... funny i like that oh, in theory boy. that's where a lot of like blind preference tests have been used like um what i'm remembering was uh testing whether people it was one of the one of that long odyssey of high-res things where some you know is some sort of recording with 33 kilohertz content or whatever and they tested whether compared to that with a you know a low pass filter at 20 kilohertz people consistently picked and preferred the recordings that had the high frequency content and i think in that mm -hmm, case mm -hmm. they did by some barely statistically significant margin which is why it got published um, yeah and then they didn't account for the intermodulation intermodulation distortion of the loudspeaker so yeah almost uh, certainly that was what it was yeah. But that's what I mean, you know, you don't need to know what it was to know that, you know, we can, first we can establish people have something subjectable there, which is where right, I think right. usually yeah. we want to start. 
Yeah. IMD sounds good. I got it. All right. What is this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. intermodulation distortion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah. Have you ever played a, uh, Have you ever played guitar? The, the distortion on the guitar amplifier. That's, that's a lot of it is, is IMD. Do you know me? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, actually, the, I was I, I meant to mention this earlier, but when we were talking about way back when we were talking about impulse response. Um, that's a very common way to do modeling of uh, guitar speakers, which, by the way, are very interesting because they're extremely non-linear. They're exact opposite. Yeah, so you cannot do what you want. Response. You typically do so two. it and and with the IR, I think you capture most of it right there. Yeah. Linear. Sorry, with with guitar amplifiers. A linear stuff. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. capture linear stuff, so which which is why the the, the good the good guitar sim simulators like the the Kemper, for example. Right. Yeah, that's they, they measure it at, at different. I actually have a Kemper right next to me. Uh, oh, they, really? they measure it at <laughs> different different volume levels, and then they interpolate between those, and they, they capture. I think they, maybe not all of it, but they capture the, the relevant portions of the nonlinearity by capturing the impulse, impulse response essentially at two different levels, and then interpolating between those, yeah, which I is relevant for, for severely nonlinear systems. Right. Which guitar loudspeakers really are. Guitar loudspeakers are not. Are not accurate, not, not precise in any way. They just sound nice, but they don't sound true. They sound good with distortion. Exactly. <laughs> not accurate, kind. not accurate, but just sound nice. That's, well, that, that's why the only vacuum tubes in my whole house are dedicated to the Mesa Boogie. Because they're part of shaping the sound, not part of recreating the sound. So that they're uh -huh. part of the source and not part of the recreation. Yes. The ultimate yes. subjectivity. So, so we're not going to be, you know, yeah. developing headphones that sound like distortion. <laughs> you and guitar definitely don't want. That would be guitar amazing. <laughs> I thought I saw somebody post on. I don't remember if it was Reddit or, or somewhere else. It was just like, can we use a guitar amp as a headphone amp? And I'm like, oh my. God. Uh, you can <laughs> you like, definitely. You can guitar amps have a headphone. What we were talking about was was uh, guitar amplifiers that have a built-in headphone amplifier. Yeah, which, which yeah. Just, that's so, pretty common now. Yeah, yeah. But so yeah. the guy anyway. who was asking about uh, phenomenology has clarified that he wants to know why people experience different things with the same FR, which I think may show that we haven't quite gotten across what we were talking about about HRTFs. Right, I've I've written a, a, an article about that um, on, in in Reddit on whether when two measurements have the same measured frequency response, why we still perceive them as different in some cases. Um, it, it's really too long to go over it. We can we can do it next time. It's going to be not really the same. Uh, yeah, essentially because even though you measure them the same, that they don't really have to be the same because of all the types of variation that you can get in the measurement. And lastly, also have a different acoustic impedance, which will, if your ear has a slightly different acoustic load, then it will have a slightly different acoustic measurement, uh, acoustic frequency response when you place it on different ear. Um, so two headphones that are acute the same don't necessarily sound completely identical. Of course, they will be very similar, uh, which is the whole point of, of, of having measurement systems with, with, with an accurate impedance. But they don't necessarily will be, they will not necessarily be completely identical. Is there another element of that too, where it goes back to you know when we're not actually analyzing everything that we're analyzing, everything that's available in the frequency response? Yeah, um, we're so not, that when we look we, at we, yeah, we don't take the, the acoustic impedance in, or of, of different values of acoustic impedance into account. It's yeah. like measuring the, the the voltage output of an amplifier, but only with one load impedance. Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't tell you everything about the amplifier. It doesn't tell you 
about the the output impedance of the amplifier. Right, right. Of course, in amplifiers, we solve that by designing for low Z out. Do we? Well, <laughs> That's what I was taught. Head there, there are output tu outputless tube uh, output transformerless tube amplifiers which which have relatively high output impedance. You make a good point. This yeah. solid state and people like here it, has you know? single ended out with 110 ohm output impedance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you if you pair that with an HG six hundred, you get extra bass and extra yeah. treble. Yeah. So, if you like that, or sure. a Focal Utopia. Like I actually measured the Utopia while well, using the ears right, but measured it with the 100, 110 ohm output impedance, and it was crazy how much the bass went up. Well, that's higher than the impedance of the headphone. Exactly, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, way it's, higher. <laughs> it's like the other way around. Is there something like genuinely becomes an issue when you? I wouldn't do have it. A negative too... damping. Uh... <laughs> It's, it's I don't not negative. It. It's just between between zero oh, sorry. and one. Yeah, not yeah, so right. Negative on, on that axis. Um, Math. In theory, yes. In 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 reality, usually not. Um, you you don't have as, as much electric damping anymore. So if if the inherent damping of your system is too low to prevent against overexcursion, you run the risk of overexcursion, which is a big issue. For example, with with large large loudspeakers, with headphones, this is typically not an issue. Like over excursion in, in the sense of it actually damaging the headphone yeah like in the he6 where it like rips it, the... it will produce distortion at some point sure but distortion is not inherently that it's not it's not inherently dangerous to right. it just sounds bad that's good to know well it's dangerous well, with the focal drivers around. yeah that, yeah that too I have never, I've never heard that that really? issue with focal. But like, I also don't listen at. You at, gotta play it real I, loud, but I it does happen. On a, on a focal clear, when it, when you go at above, I think it was. Oh man, I looked at this graph today. It was if if you go above something like one one hundred one hundred ten decibel, then in the in the low bass with below eighty hertz, it will actually not increase by the same amount. So if you if you add twice the voltage, it will not rise by six decibel. It will rise by slightly less, which means that the the there is some linearity happening. Either typically it's, it's the voice coil leaving the, the linear portion of the magnetic field, but it can also be the increasing stiffness of the, the surround. In our case, happening. it actually I think it sounds like it's like hitting the hitting the limits physically. Yeah, that, that can excursion. happen. If you go to real extremes. Yeah. In my there measurements, was... usually focals have experienced that somewhere between 105 and 111 decibels between uh -huh. like below resonance frequency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because that's where excursion is highest at and below resonance frequency. Yeah. Um all right. Well, uh I guess if there's no further questions, we've been going for a couple hours with this uh slightly intermittent stream. So, uh I think we should probably cut it there and uh unless uh, there's any final thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. Uh for oratory. So, mm -hmm. we've talked a bit about the BFR question, I think that we've sort of given the, the usual correct answers. Um, mm -hmm. if that doesn't say, wait, that sounds really bratty. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we've given the usual scientifically indicated. Answer. I don't know. What, what I was yeah. going to ask, though, is because I always think this is an interesting one to ask. Imagine that you have two headphones that for a given listener in situ measured at their eardrum. You know, imagine that we can just put a microphone mm -hmm. in their eardrum somehow. Mm -hmm same frequency response and you know distortion is not at sub you know substantially perceptible levels mm -hmm. you reckon those are going to sound the same for this person yes of course yeah i mean obviously i think so as well i i wanted to ask because i know for some i kind of consider that to be a differentiating point on whether there's a belief in uh 
special something that isn't. Uh-huh. And it's uh, it's interesting the people who I mean, sometimes there do is a, there is a special something here. because the the main point of what you're asking, of course, I know no, your, your your question is is rhetorical, um, because you can never actually achieve this point because you cannot you cannot measure. Firstly, you cannot measure at the at the drum reference point, right? Without yep. with, with a live subject at least. Um, but even if you f- would find a way to cir- to circumnavigate that, it is not going to be possible to achieve the exact, precisely the same frequency response with a meaningful number of of of, of you know calculating power. But, but if absolutely. you would, just assuming that you found a way to 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 get a, uh, an identical measurement on an on a, on a on a live subject measured at the same at the same DRP, then yes, this is this is what they're gonna be like then they're gonna be the same i agree but uh it's interesting because i think you might be surprised by the number of people who disagree with that one probably not in the scientific yeah and, and, uh, and I, I can understand what, what where they're coming from because it's not possible to do so it's not really it's not easy to imagine because if i you know if i put an eq on one headphone and put an eq on a different headphone then on paper they're now the same but if i wear them then they're not going to sound different so obviously you we must be wrong because this is ignoring the facts that they are not going to be the same measured in your eDrum. So it, it is it is a, a scenario that cannot actually happen. But if it were to happen, then then of course it's going to be the same. But since it's impossible to actually happen, there are so many things that that you have to assume in order for this to ideally happen. That if you ignore those things, then then you're going to have to say no. There's something else going on, like different different earpads compressing to a different level when you wear them on a thicker or a smaller head compared to a measurement head or you know having more hair than the measurement head and this this affecting frequency response <laughs> or you know having a slightly differently tensioned eardrum i don't know things like that um, which yeah. all prevent it from actually being the same but if they were the same then yeah of course they're the same so this is like also assuming that we're looking at the most fine-grained kind of uh, parts of the frequency response as well like yeah. we're not like we're not smoothing anything out or <laughs> yeah. yeah basically the question here is is there something when a headphone is operating right beyond frequency response at the eardrum and i generally kind of see that as being the big split between i don't know if you want to call them the objective and the subjective community right right uh, as being that at its core because a lot of people everyone agrees that frequency response at the eardrum matters some people yeah. will say that's all that matters, assuming that things aren't broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people w- either want there to be more or think there is more. And it's interesting to see who's on that. Does that include it, things it, it like soundstage? It just depends on how exactly... Yeah, it includes soundstage. Yeah, uh, exactly. It just depends on, on how exactly you phrase the question. For example, if you were to ask me, do you like, the, do you like a specific headphone more than you like another? Then it does not matter. Uh, if if you just look at the, in the, at the frequency response, for example, I will always like an Oppo PM3 more than than an AKG K271, simply because the PM3 feels a lot nicer, even if it were to sound the same for for some reason. Absolutely. Because how how much we like a headphone does not rely solely on how good it sounds, but mm-hmm. if you ask about does it sound exactly the same, then yeah. So this so then we're. We're also saying that in theory you could have something like uh, AKG K three seventy one EQ it to match a HD eight hundred something like that. If all conditions were perfect and you were just able to EQ that to measure exactly the same at the eardrum, would they sound the same? 
are you in a noisy room or not? Like, no, like of course, point. yes, it, it will be the same, assuming that, assuming a lot of things. For example, if you have an open and a closed headphone, then you will you will hear your you will hear the surrounding more or less depending on how how closed off the headphone is. So this will again affect your perception of the headphone, but not actually affect the sound of the headphone if they were to to sound the same. Okay. So there's a lot of things that that influence the perception of the headphone, which aren't really in the sound, but which makes you believe that the sound is different. Like an open headphone, uh, a headphone that, that has no as isolation to the outside will always sound more open because you can hear the air moving around. You can hear your, your AC unit. You can hear yeah, yeah. Uh, your clothes rustling against your skin. You can hear that in a different way <laughs> or much reduced when you have a closed headphone. So this will affect your perception of the headphone, even though it doesn't actually affect the sound of the headphone. That's interesting. Yeah, this is kind of the, the golden... The, and the, this the, is the, where I believe the it, it opportunity. Down to. So is is everything inside frequency response or are there yeah. other things that influence it? And the answer to both of both of those questions is yes. Everything's in frequency response, but a lot of there are a lot of things that affect our perception outside of that. Uh, well everything yeah. linear is in frequency response. It's not often we hit nonlinear behavior in headphones, but Focal does show it does happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is again one of those things that we have to assume, like there is Yeah that there are not being a significant amount of distortion. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that, the bottom line for all that stuff, though, at least in my mind, is still that we need to find better ways of being able to analyze frequency response so that we can actually tell what all, like correlate all the rest of the different things of frequency response to the different types of, I guess, audiophile terms that people are using to make them main, make more sense, I guess. I right? like if I'm trying to communicate like how this sounds. Though. Yeah, it's right. Something yeah. That, that, that engineers are working on. Like we, we have a certain set of, of things that we want to avoid and some, some aspects of the frequency response where we need, where we specifically need to be close on target and somewhere where we're relatively free. Um, but this is, in the end, I, I personally don't think that this is something that a consumer needs to worry about too much because in the end, you can, you can either spend hundreds of hours on, on coming up with an accurate description of, of a frequency response or you can listen to it and, and form an opinion by yourself and the, to my mind this is this, there's no replacement for that uh, of course I, not I, from I, a consumer think, perspective. I think the customer would, would would like to know if they can create an orpheus out of uh, mh 755 though that's like if we can do that you can do everything that would be amazing <laughs> this is a new goal new target for reveal plus <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell Shaker on that one. Maybe he's, maybe he's watching. Yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll get the Orpheus uh, Reveal Plus preset. Yeah, <laughs> for all different yeah, guys. You guys got to improve those works. presets, man. Just yeah. in case anybody didn't understand my sarcasm, yet, no, this is not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyways. We should probably end it on that because we've been going for a couple hours. I still could upload this as a podcast, and that will only work if it's under a certain amount. Oh, so, okay, I see. yeah, <laughs> sorry to cut in so, here. No, no, by all means, and we, no, we invited thank you, you so much for joining. Yeah, like we'll we'll have to do another one with you and ask you all about measurement equipment because, well, you, you I've been it. spending hours talking to him <laughs> for the last few weeks. So, <laughs> might as well make that you know talk about that on stream. Oh goodness, I think oratory would also be quite uh, quite qualified yeah. to comment there. Yeah, 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 definitely. Anyways, uh, thank you all for watching, and thanks to these three guys for uh, joining on the stream. And hopefully, we'll have the stream sorted out again next week with uh, without all the hiccups and lag issues.